Convention delegates will now hear the report from the Rules Committee. Please heed the following. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily represent the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. A listener in the forums has uh, posted uh, a, a posting. Uh, he writes... Uh, Post from- he po- whoa, 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 back up. He posted a posting? I'm, I'm shocked. Wow. That's he why, wasn't eating post toasties when he posted the posting. That's was why he? I is a radio professional. Oh, okay. Uh, that's right. Now, now that I now that I know. Yeah. Uh, this is Danny uh, Danny NKC Danny in Kansas City maybe Danny NKC writes. Uh, I am a hot air balloon pilot, and I understand that your podcast is mainly for fixed wing folks, folks. But want you to know that there are a lot of us balloon pilots out here listening. Would love to hear you talk about our type of aircraft sometime. After all. We are the oldest form of flight, and there's a lot of history in ballooning. And most of balloon pilots I know are the most interesting people flying. And I have to grin when I hear you guys talk about off-field landings. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's... Danny invites us to talk a little bit about hot air balloons. I've never the, the closest I've ever come to going up in a hot air balloon was a tethered one time, uh, which is probably just not even close. But uh, the, Lordy, they are beautiful to watch. Well, no, Dan- I, I Danny, you know, very... you, you guys aren't the only ones that kind of smile when we say off-field landing because yeah. I know some hang glider pilots, some same pl- sailplane pilots, and some ultralight pilots, particularly the guys that flew the old engines, that have a lot of experience at off-field landings too. So yeah, yeah Jeb, did you ever there. ride one of these things? I did. Uh, in fact, wrote up wrote wrote about it in in Avweb. Uh, I think it was back in uh, year two thousand. We had. Uh, as as Avweb uh, uh, occasionally gets um, irreverent, um, we had no. um, said something about one of the um, um, distance um, attempts using a hot air balloon, uh, and and um, um, a couple of balloonists uh, who read Avweb uh, took us to task. One of them went so far as to challenge us to come down and take a ride, and. Um, uh, oh, you know, that's it's terrible. It's, well, that's yeah. what we need to do. We need to get somebody exactly. to challenge us to come down and take it. Exactly. And, and, you know, it, it's easy to say I got the short straw, but um, in fact, it was a, it was a very enjoyable uh, event. I hooked up with um, um, a family uh, out of uh, Burlington, uh, North Carolina, who were participating in an annual uh, balloon fly in, for lack of a better term. Um, and um, spent uh, several hours of, of very high quality time with them. Um, the um, the high point of which was um, a dawn uh, launch in a hot air balloon. Uh, she and I, and um, I don't know, maybe twenty or so other balloons, um, drifting across the countryside. It was it was uh, uh, just a very enjoyable, very educational. Um, uh, event for me, uh, something I'll always remember and always be thankful uh, 
uh, for the uh, the piece that I wrote uh, about this is still on AvWeb. Um, and I think the title is uh, The Envelope, Please. Uh, <laughs> balloonists would, would understand that title. And uh, it, it was just a very enjoyable uh, event. And I would, I would great, uh, yeah. uh, encourage anyone who has the opportunity um, not only to, to go for a hot air balloon ride, uh, but perhaps to take it up as, as another, um, uh, um, another type of, of their aviation. I, I've since done other uh, balloon rides. Um, um, uh, there, was, there was one I remember uh, in the Napa Valley area uh, of California. Alcohol was involved. <laughs> and uh, uh, another very enjoyable uh, trip. It was a less... Um, 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 uh, less informal, if you will, but uh, uh, no, it's 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 a lot of fun. Now you're not gonna, excuse me, you're not gonna be uh, um, using a hot air balloon for business transportation. You're not gonna be using it for personal transportation, but for pure recreation. And you know, for, it's, it's a really great way to go downwind. I mean, well, it just really I, is. It's yeah. one of the best ways to go well, downwind. You know, there. Trick, well, here's the trick, though, Dave: is you can change the altitude. As you change altitude, the wind changes. It's yep. not unheard of to take off in one location, drift downwind at a certain altitude, change your altitude, and drift downwind the other direction and land back where you started. Yeah, the good ones know how to do that, man. The good well, ones better than that. Here's my here's my great balloon story. So. This is years ago. This is probably ten or more years ago. Back when I was involved, when the uh, when the Golden West fly-in was still a little local fly-in at Tracy Airport in California, in the Central Valley of California. Now Tracy Airport is 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 actually on the valley floor, the Central Valley of California. Um, but right across the street from Tracy Airport is a quarry, some sort of gravel or rock quarry. So okay. it's dug pretty deep down below the valley floor level is this big hole in the ground, right? And you don't really see it if you're standing on the airport grounds. So I'm in the. I went out especially early one morning, uh, probably Saturday morning of the fly-in, to uh, watch the uh, the hot air balloon folks uh, do their thing, and uh, was just enjoying the hell out of it all. And a couple of these balloonists would launch. They launched, and the wind was right, so they drifted across the street. And then they descended and disappeared out of sight into the square. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm standing there, and it's dead flat, all right? And, and, the, and the balloon disappears out of sight, all right? And then what happens is they would actually kind of work the walls of the quarry. And I was talking to them later on. Apparently, this is part, if I'm, if I'm remembering this correctly, this is part of the uh, practical test standard to get your balloon uh-huh. license, is the ability to do these verticals or something like that. And these guys, because of the way the wind was working that day, they would actually descend on one side of the quarry, drift across the base of the quarry, rise on the far side, and then the wind would bring them back across the quarry to where they started. And they were actually uh-huh. doing these circuits in the quarry until they yeah. kind of got bored with that, and then they took off. And <laughs> All right, but uh, it was pretty cool. But I'll never because I didn't kind of know the quarry was really. The, I mean, I didn't kind of appreciate how big the quarry was. And I'm watching these guys take off, and one of them he goes down and down and down, and and he just disappeared out of sight right across the street. That was pretty cool. very neat. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. David, you've flown these things a little bit, huh? Uh, first real pilotage, the only real pilotage time I got was in an ultralight balloon rig. Single seat. Uh, and by definition, a balloon ultra, ultralight? Well, yeah, but the uh, the FAA kind of categorizes it by the uh, empty weight uh, and, and with fuel. So you got fuel, 
and then you got the weight of the basket or the tank and the harness and the envelope. Mm-hmm. So if it's below 155 pounds, it qualifies as an ultralight balloon. Okay. And uh, you can fly that without a license or without a medical. Of course, you can fly balloons without a medical now, but uh, not without training. But it was really neat. Uh, just sat in this. Uh, it was a little bit like a climbing harness with shoulder straps to hold you to the tank. And you sat in a little seat that supported your thighs and had a little place to put your feet. And that was all attached to the tank. And the whole rig with these risers was attached to a ring from which the uh, balloon suspension lines rose. And the ring had a had a bearing on it. You could swivel. You could turn yourself around so you could always face the direction you wanted to go. And it had a little side vent like a big balloon. And uh, you just pull this toggle over your head and a little spark igniter would light up the propane and up you'd go. Sounds like it was fun. a lot of fun. So obviously you soloed this thing. Uh, yeah. Uh, after about two hours of doing uh, up and down and trying to learn to use the vent and uh, the burn to control the descent uh-huh. and uh, to try to hold it stationary in, in a little bit of a breeze by using the vent to rotate it. Oh. Uh, or try mm-hmm. to. And, That's interesting. Uh, I never thought of that. Yeah. That was all done on a tether that was about 175 feet long, if I remember right. Yeah. Got me up above the treetops where there was actually some air moving, which yeah. was what, where it got really interesting. And then took off and did about a 30-minute flight down this valley uh, outside Chattanooga and uh, landed in a big open field near a road that twisted by the hang gliding landing field for the Lookout Mountain Flight Park. Mm-hmm. And that's the only other time that I've flown as a passenger three or four other times. Uh, and it was really neat watching the people work the really big balloons. Uh, most fun was at a French chalet north of Paris during the Paris Air Show in 91. Fokker Aircraft was still a, a, an entity. And they had this big industry party at this chalet. We got on buses got taken about an hour and 10 minute drive outside of Paris to this big open countryside, this big chalet. They had music, they had catering, and they had about a dozen hot air balloons to take the guests up in a lift. Mm-hmm. And we flew about five or six kilometers, I think it was, yeah. uh, right at sunset. Just a lot of fun, a little windy yeah. on touchdown. Yeah. Have you guys ever gotten up early enough to watch the balloons at Sun and Fun? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, lots of times. Uh, again, I've only been twice in the recent past, and I didn't either of those two times, but I, I've always regretted not doing it. It's, I bet it's awesome. It is. It can be really neat that very infrequently you get this perfect set of conditions where the balloons lift off from that green space between the uh, uh, between 927 and the parallel, parallel taxiway on the south side, and the wind will be out of the north or northeast and it will push the balloons back across the showgrounds. Mm-hmm. Prevailing winds are out of the south. Yeah, yeah. So most they days do, they take off and they're gone. And they do a small thing. I get the feeling it's smaller at uh, at Air Venture as well. I think one one morning or maybe a couple mornings. I don't know. Over at the museum, I think they do. They launch some balloons throughout the week. Anyways, it's too bad they can't do more. But there's just so much aviation going on there already. I'm not sure where they'd squeeze it all in. Yeah. 
Hey, to finish uh, up the thought here, uh, Danny NKC, uh, thanks for that uh, for suggesting we talk about this. And he did actually follow up with another posting in the forums um, very quickly where he writes, I wanted to let you know that ballooning does have an Oshkosh type an event of event once a year in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Oh, yeah. It's, it's called the Albuquerque International Blue, Balloon Fiesta. It's the largest gathering of balloons in the world with over 750 hot air balloons from all over the world. Uh, and usually 15 or 20 gas balloons. I guess there's a distinction between a hot air balloon and a gas balloon. It's held oh, in October, yeah. and uh, the uh, website is www.balloonfiesta.com. A spectacular event that I have lusted to cover or work or attend, you know, haul balloons in and out of a pickup truck or whatever, and not yet this year. Yeah. But it's one, one day. Yeah. yeah. Well, if anybody wants to educate us with a, uh, a hot air balloon ride, uh, we would accept the challenge. And, uh, Absolutely. We appreciate it would be that. uplifting. <laughs> hey, welcome, folks, to episode number 96 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. We're recording this episode on Thursday evening, August 21st, 2008. And let me say hi to my friends here in the hangar. One of those voices, of course, is Jeb Burnside. Jeb, you're, so you're actually in Sarasota, Florida now, but you weren't sure you were going to be in Sarasota. You've had some excitement. <clears throat> well, it, it, anticlimactic excitement. Yeah. Uh, first of all, uh, good evening to you, uh, Jack and, and uh, Dave and uh, uh, everybody that's listening. Yeah, we uh, had a little um, thing come through uh, earlier in the week called a uh, tropical storm. Yeah, um, and uh, I went so far as to move the airplane out of harm's way. That's right. This is the uh, first time you've actually executed the evacuation. The I'm the, quoting the quote unquote yeah, evacuation plan. It, the, exactly. Um, and uh, you know, there's there's basically two parts of that plan. Is is you know, plan A, I guess, is to just get get the airplane out of the way and and drive back. Um, and plan B is to get the airplane and and uh, loved ones and and important stuff out of the way and, and not come back for a few days. Uh, I implemented plan A. So plan A protects the airplane and plan B, oh, the loved ones, right? Well, yeah, kind of, sort of, because um, I, I have a lot more faith in the, in the house being able to withstand. I know. Uh, no, I'm teasing. There's certainly no, been some, some sad stories about, about hangers taking a beating uh-huh. in, uh, during these things. So, exactly. Uh, you know, exactly. So anyways. So, but, uh, so, so you're I'm there now, but your airplane's in Georgia. Airplanes in Georgia. I moved it up there um, uh, Monday afternoon, got back Monday night, and uh, uh, I probably will go back and get it uh, this weekend. I haven't made up my mind. Be honest so we you. now know what it, will, what it takes to ground you, to drive between there and Georgia, but we also know that that wasn't enough to get you to take the airlines because you drove back from Georgia, right? Well, I drove back from Georgia in part because uh, there is no airline service. At the airport, at uh, which I uh, parked the airplane, and yeah, the, the, the closest the closest service really uh, would take me to Atlanta, where I'd have to change planes, and then probably uh, could fly into Sarasota. But there's it's it's the part of Georgia where there's really no way to get here from there, yeah. and uh, it just made more sense. I've got. Uh, you know, it's my family home. I've got a couple of vehicles up there, and they're more than capable of, of carrying my fat butt back back down here. I was going to so. say, it, it, it's apt to have taken you five hours to make that trip by airlines from Atlanta after you oh, get exactly. to Atlanta. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, and then it's a five-hour drive thereabouts, uh, a little bit less if you don't stop or you, you drive fast. So, uh, it wasn't any really big deal. The whole, the whole evolution was three hours. I'm sorry. The whole evolution was eight hours. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's you know that's a small for for me, 
that's a small price to pay to make sure the airplane's in a secure uh, location for something like oh, this. Sure. And the problem, and, and you know, if I had a, a sturdier hangar, it probably wouldn't even have even been that big a deal. The hangar I'm in now. Um, it's a it's a rectangular building of of I don't know ten or twelve uh, T hanger bays. Uh, it's just a tin building. It's not a new one. It's not built to the latest codes or anything like that. But m- even more important is the interior walls are not built up to the ceiling. So one little piece of metal comes off of some part of that structure. And you're going to have 60 knots of wind flowing through there, and, and who, who who knows what else. Yeah, well, that's all it takes to, to have these things. To, to bang into the airplane and poke holes in the skin or something like that. And I'm sorry, but, um, you know, 20 gallons of Avgas uh, is, it's a, is a small investment. Uh, to me, to get the airplane out of harm's way, and it's, you know the insurance, the insurance company ought to be reimbursing for this. But yeah, I'm sorry, Dave. Say it again. Is the hangar substructure wood or metal? It's metal. It is metal. Underneath the sheet metal, it's metal. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's 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 uh, it's you know steel corrugated steel sheet metal, and then corrugated gir- gir- bleh, girders. I can't even speak. Oh, uh, stamp stuff. Right. That. Oh uh, yeah. uh, and as I say, though, you, you get one little um, um, panel uh, of any of that come off, and uh, you got a gale going through there, and every every little screwdriver or anything that someone left out on their workbench is going to be flying in my airplane, and I don't want that. A friend, friend of mine had one go in Katrina. Uh, uh-huh. He was in southern Mississippi. The hangar withstood the storm, but the door came off. Yeah. And when the door went away, uh, his little Cessna 150 uh-huh. uh, actually stayed in the hangar. Uh-huh. Moved around a lot. Yeah. yeah. Well, a friend of mine tells me a story down here. One of the hurricanes back in 04, 05, he's, the day after the hurricane comes through, he's down at, at one of the local airports, you know, kind of looking at the damage and, and t- you know, taking some pictures and, and talking to people and, and this kind of thing. And, he, and he's walking down this row of, of hangars, and there's a guy standing in front of a hangar just kind of looking. He's just kind of, you know, kind of in shock, just kind of looking in the hangar. And um, the guy walks up and, you know, looks at what the guy is looking at, you know, they don't say anything for a few seconds, and and then my friend says, "Well, the airplane well, sitting it? there looks relatively unscathed," and uh, the the friend says to the to the guy, "says Well, looks like you know your airplane's okay in this hangar," and the guy turns to my friend and says, "That's not my airplane. <laughs> it's my it's my hangar, but it's not my airplane." Oh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, so, so anyway, his airplane was gone altogether. Somebody else's right. airplane. Was so, in his somebody place. else's airplane was in its place, and he doesn't know. You know, from Adam. So, uh, <laughs> well, teasing you, but it's uh, probably smart that you put your airplane someplace safe. And, yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's the safest. Uh, go, smartest. Are you going to retrieve it? Uh, either this weekend or, or sometime next week. I might just wait until Labor Day weekend. I haven't decided yet. Um, kind of depends on what what other mischief I get into here over the week. There you go. Hey, and also here in the hangar, of course, is Dave Higdon. Dave's talking to us from uh, Wichita, Kansas. Which is now, so the hang- the hurricane's headed your way, I guess. Not exactly, but it's sort of headed inland like that, right? No, it's actually headed to Tifton, Georgia. It, it's really, it's really headed to where I left the airplane. <laughs> that is, yeah, kind it's of really iron. headed where he left the airplane. <laughs> I was noticing uh, that on the map. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's, it'll be a thunderstorm by the time it gets there, so I'm not too stressed. Yeah, yeah it may get, it, it may leak water, but it, sh- you know, it shouldn't yeah. get blown on. 
Hi, uh, you, David. Hanger, How you doing? I'm doing good. What's the going on? Hanger is good. It's a lot better than the hanger here. So. Yeah. Uh, what's what's going on in your neck of the woods, David? You having any fun? Uh, just getting ready to. What are you gonna do? Uh, Going to try to bug out of here for a few days R and R back in my hometown, uh-huh. and uh, 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 unfortunately, t- timed against the uh, Wichita Festival of Flight, which is this weekend. Oh, too bad! So you're going to miss that. Going to miss that, and actually had an opportunity to to ride as ballast slash conscience in a race plane for the Air Capital 200 that's running in conjunction with the uh, flight festival. So I'm sorry, ballast slash what? Functions? Uh, I think eyewitness, you know, make sure everybody hits uh, the turn uh, points and all uh, that. Uh, I see. Okay. Well, that sounds like fun. It sounds, it, like it, fun. It, it sounds like fun, and it's like a you know a free ride in an airplane, spending the day running around a 200-mile course. Yeah, well, that's always a good thing. That's and it's one of those uh, speed slash efficiency races where you like predict your speed practice. you predict your fuel yeah oh, and okay. uh yeah i'd like to see one of those done without me doing it that's what i'm going to do if this doesn't come through and i'm jack hodgson and i'm here at uh, beautiful dover new hampshire so uh, we're okay. like all the listeners are checking in it's great i keep hearing from listeners who are familiar with dover uh, you would think that boston would have been you know like you know popular but many more people are saying hi because of some connection to dover new hampshire or skyhaven airport or something like that so it's cool and i i think that's that's great I uh, like uh, you're a you're you're a ucap world headquarters UCAP, though right ucap world okay. headquarters that's, that's right. right that's right Galactic so, uh, center of uni- of uncontrolled airspace. Right. So speaking about, uh, oh, I don't know exactly how to make the segue here. Um, there is a segue. Two <laughs> segue. There you go, George. Two years ago this week, as a matter of fact, two years ago tomorrow. Dun 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 dun. The, the first episode of a podcast that at the time didn't even have a name. A pod uh, what? That uh, that what became the uncontrolled airspace podcast was recorded. This is our this is our second birthday, boys. Congratulations! Well, happy birthday to us, and happy birthday to all you that have you know hung along well, on the ride. And yeah, I'm so stunned that you don't have something better to do with your time. Well, <laughs> be that as it may, I I I gotta say also that. Uh, uh, we're just doing what we do. Um, if, if, if we didn't have listeners and we didn't have feedback and we didn't have people literally um, pulling us aside at Oshkosh and other events, uh, we probably wouldn't be doing this anymore. Yeah, so we do appreciate it. We have been having a blast doing it. We have no intentions of stopping anytime soon, so just get used to it. And Be afraid. We sort of but decided... Again, I'm sorry, go ahead, Jim. It's the listeners and, and those who continue to to uh, give us feedback and, and seem to benefit from this that uh, keep us going. So. Yep, yep. And, uh, you know, we a year ago when we had our first birthday, we sort of did a to-do on the podcast. Um, and uh, we decided that we're going to hold off because we have another milestone coming in just a few weeks, which is our, our big 100, our big 100th episode. And so we're going to do a little bit more special stuff for that one. So we kind of decided to minimize the, the birthday stuff. But uh, happy birthday to you guys. It's been a blast. I'm not nearly done yet. And uh, thank you to all our listeners, like you guys said. And uh, um it's the terrible twos. Here we come. So, terrible twos, and soon to be a century. A century and better. That's right. So Boy, that's a right. weird combination. If you think about that, I know. Yeah, no, yeah. I think about it. Never mind. Yeah. 
Hey, Jeb, last week on the episode, at the towards the end of the episode, you sort of introduced a subject that uh, we just didn't have the time to do justice to, and so <laughs> so we uh, so we kind of postponed it. Um, but I wanted to talk about it now, and that it's actually been all around the news since then, which is the uh, the uh, uh, I guess it's. Uh, who is it, Homeland Security or, or TSA, has uh, introduced requirement for special awareness training for people who fly anywhere within like a long, great distance of the DCA is. And, right, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's the FAA, actually. Is it? Okay. Uh, uh, and what they have done is um, uh, a week ago uh, today uh, published a final rule um, effective uh, in 180 days that requires um, anybody flying a, a VFR within, um, and I don't recall. Well, 60 miles. 60, six, 60 miles, miles of the Washington um, Vortac, the Washington, D.C. Vortac, the one located at Washington National Airport. If you're flying VFR within 60 nautical miles of that, of that Vortac, you must, according to the FAA, have what they call special ADIS awareness training. Uh, this is the uh, the um, uh, air defense identification zone and flight restricted zone that surrounds uh, Washington D.C. Now, correct me if uh, I'm wrong. Sixty miles puts you way outside of the actual ADIS, right? It does, That's but 30, yeah. But there's also a um, uh, a speed restriction imposed out to that sixty mile point for uh, VFR aircraft of I think it's two hundred thirty knots. Below ten thousand feet, I forget the exact. Um, yeah, it's um, slower than the usual speed limit. Yeah, it's it's slower than the two fifty knots below uh, ten thousand, uh, with every which with which everyone's familiar. But um, um, it's definitely uh, the, the the means by which they're they're measuring the um, distance within which you need to have this training. Now, what's prompted this? Is there something going on here? Did something happen? Well, uh, 3,000 ADIS incursions is the number that's been floated around uh since this ill-advised ADIS went into effect to begin with. Uh Uh, So, in their great wisdom, after being petitioned to shrink it, uh, because it's so obviously not creating a security problem to not have it. I mean, because it's creating an enforcement problem to have it by a bunch of innocent people who would not be in any trouble. I think what a handful have actually uh, uh, moved into the flight restricted zone, uh, and those guys got spanked. And you know, who can argue with that? But right. 30 miles, and now they're reaching out 60 miles, and who knows what they're going to go next. Maybe they'll be climbing all over our airplanes next. Well, there's a real trap in this, bloody. <laughs> that's maybe the, that's that's like a, that's like a little foreshadowing to another story. Yes, right? okay. yes, yeah. But there, there's so much wrong with this, and such a trap built into it. For example, there's a February deadline for doing this. And my question is, why do we all have to do it by then? How about having done it within 30 days of when we are going to be flying in or near that airspace? Uh, Because what are you going to do about the new pilots that come along? Uh, You know, they're not going to be able to sign up and take the training, spend their 90 minutes in joy and bliss being educated. Well, I, I I I don't know about the that, that kind of a nuance. Um, I, I just pulled up the copy of the final rule here while we were talking. It's it's effective February nine two thousand nine. 
Um, and um, there's uh, you know just there's several pages here to this this document. I'm not going to go through each and every one of them or anything like that. But um, basically, the FAA thinks that this is important to do because there have been so many of these violations um, over the years. And I think we're talking on the order of you know like maybe 1,500 a year since the 80s was put in as a temporary measure, I would add. That's right. That's right. Uh, I had, had TSA people specifically lie to my face uh, when, when this thing went into effect. But nevertheless, uh, not that I'm bitter or anything about that, um, <clears throat> but nevertheless. Um, not that they had any credibility to fall back on. Not that they had any credibility then or now. Um, they have, of course, even less uh, than they might have had then. Um, the, uh, the point in all this, of course, is, yes, there is this ADIS, um, the value of which, of course, is debatable. Uh, but nevertheless, it does exist, and the rules are there, and they need to be complied with. Um, of these thousands, literally, of uh, violations of the ADAs that have occurred since it went into, into place, uh, not one of them, not a single one, involves a suspected act of terrorism. Yep. Okay? They, all of these violations, therefore, are either inadvertent or um, have happened... Um, by virtue of someone squawking 1200 on their transponder yeah. within the ATIS, which is is forbidden, and you know there's there are certain uh, hardware and there's certain transponders out there that almost uh, make this make squawking 1200 a um, a requirement, um, depending on how they're installed and how they're wired. That too is a violation of the ATIS and does in fact count on the thousands of violations each year. But the punchline in all of this, to me, is um, here's a here's a rule that's uh, designed to enhance the security of the Washington D.C. area, and that's all really well and good. Um, but since the violations uh, it is it is catching do not involve people who, after investigation, are deemed to who pose a security threat. You have to ask whether or not it's being effective at doing right. uh, this this at, at, at perfecting the security arrangement. Um, if um, you look at it just on an, on a very basic fashion, look at it from that very ba- basic standpoint, the answer is no, because it's only catching innocent bystanders, innocent civilians who um, made a mistake, their navigation was off, uh, they got a bad vector, um, they squawked 1,200, whatever. Um, it's not they really, had their airport in sight. And yeah, yeah it's, it's not effective at doing – yeah, and it, you know it's it's like um, you know this this sheet of paper here on my desk is shark repellent. Well, wh- how do you mean? Well, it's it's shark repellent. Do you see any sharks around me? <laughs> so, do we know yet what? And the, he's close to where there are sharks. And I'm close to where there are sharks. Do we know yet what the the nature of this training is going to be? I mean, is it going to be like a multiple choice <sighs> quiz, or A-O- you got to fly with an instructor, or what's the deal? Yeah, AOPA had some information on this that I I have to confess I did not pay much attention to, not because I'm not interested, but because uh, um, uh, the timing just wasn't right. But there's a a website, faasafety.gov, which is kind of uh, um, um, 
uh, ironic, ironically named, but um, um, they have a series of uh, uh, educational uh, programs, and, and by program I mean I don't mean um, software, but uh, training programs uh, here on the uh, on their website. Um, the website is supposed to have a um, uh, an AIDS training program. I don't see anything on here right now, but that's that's okay because this is not required yet. It's not required until February nine, and of course, the FAA and its in, in its uh, history has waited until the last minute before uh, they get this stuff up. But um, here's here's the online courses available. There's uh, let's see, hot air ballooning, hot air balloon maintenance for pilots, in flight icing. There, there are some interesting um, um, courses here. So not there's a, there's another one here that's called TFRs in special use airspace. Um, now and there's another one that's navigating the new DC eight is. Now it's not clear to me which of these will be uh, the one required to take. And there's even some speculation. I, I believe I came across on AOPA's website saying that uh, if you took um, a previous edition of this course that focused on TFRs and special use airspace alone, that it would re- it would uh, count towards compliance with the eight is required aid is training you just um, have to have the certificate printed out to be able to prove yeah, it on demand exactly yeah. exactly in a reasonable amount of time sometimes these things are crazy when i was at oshkosh sometimes uh, yeah when i was at oshkosh i went to <laughs> visit the faa folks to get the address changed on my pilot certificate uh-huh. and while i'm there you know she says would you like to get the Remember, remember the uh, English proficiency yeah, endorsement yeah, right. thing. Yeah. She says, "Would you like to get your English proficiency endorsement?" And at first, I thought, "Nah, I don't need that." And then I'm thinking, "Well, you know, maybe." Yeah, you do. What do I yeah, have to do? do? And she says, "You're all set." <laughs> so I'm filling out. She says, "Here, fill out the form." <laughs> Did so you have your conversation your with so the I federal employee. Yeah, yeah, right. I filled out the form, which was mostly the address change stuff. All right, and uh-huh. I handed it back to her, and she says, "Okay, great. The, your new certificate will come in the mail." And I said, "So this includes the proficiency, English proficiency." She says, "Yeah." <laughs> okay, great. I don't know. I guess just talking with her did the trick. But uh, uh, you silver tongue devil, you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Sweet talk. I am so talker. surprised we don't have a course for that. Yeah, really. And a certificate to print <laughs> yeah. out. Anyways, uh, we'll keep an know, eye on this uh, ADIS special awareness training thing, and not that there's much we can do about it, but I uh, want to make well, sure nobody gets trapped. It's, it's yet another layer of stuff that you can get trapped in uh-huh. uh, flying around the D.C. area and that kind we'll of put a link uh, to it, um, to the yeah. final rule and, and a lot kind of, yep. kind of stuff. Oh, if you love that, you're going to love some of the new stuff. Yeah. Hey, moving on. Um so you know, take a drink. Doing what I do at at, at Air Venture, uh, being part of the newspaper and hanging out with the reporters, and and I, I I often felt like I have my finger on the pulse of Air Venture, and uh, and and so as a result, I was almost saddened when I got home to discover that there was a whole thing that sounded really cool that I completely missed out on, and that is that uh, our fellow uh, aviation podcasters. Uh, I discovered later on, camped all together in Camp Scholler. And they had themselves some fun hangar flying around the campfire just about every night that they were there, and including recording at least three episodes, short episodes, but episodes of podcasts from the campfire in Camp Scholler. And uh, Steve Tupper uh, uh, gave the whole thing the... the, uh, 
the uh, nickname the Firebase Airspeed. He's, this was his, <laughs> uh, his campsite, and then everybody else was sort of nearby, and they sort of all embraced this name. And uh, and you should listen at least uh, the ones that I'm familiar with are I think two episodes of uh, Airspeed were just kind of recorded on the fly around the campfire there in Camp Scholler. And at least one episode from the finer points uh, was recorded there as well. And the atmosphere, the, the, just the feeling that you get there is, is exactly what you would, what you, what I know from having camped in Scholler. It's just very fun and friendly, and everybody having a great time. And oh just, yeah, it's a, it's 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 a great neighborhood. Hanging out among your fellow pilots, you know. And uh, uh, I, I'm I'm jealous of these folks because they obviously had a blast. And uh, I'm well, I'm sure, sure that EAA would be happy to put you up and. Camp Scholler. Camp Scholler. <laughs> yeah, right. So, uh, but I'm definitely going to get me a piece of that next year. Uh, that, that sounded like it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, man. I, I remember those days. I love the camping. You want to camp there now? Not a chance. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, my excuse is, well, no, I won't go into my excuse. Anyway, so uh, I just wanted to. I just wanted to. Uh, I just That's wanted his to, story, and he's sticking to it. I just wanted to call everyone's attention to this. If you don't already listen to podcasts like Airspeed, or uh, the finer points, uh, you should definitely check out these particular episodes because it really gave the flavor of how fun it is to hang out in Camp Troller. Jack, we can start a special fund to collect Coleman lantern mantles for you. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Um, And on a similar subject, uh, so as everyone knows, uh, if you listen to this podcast, uh, we recorded uh, Potapalooza 2, uh, the Gathering of the Aviation Podcasters, while we were there at uh, AirVenture. Why why does it say Potapalooza 3? 3. Well, because technically it was 3. and uh, It It was was 2 for us. It was 2 for us, and it was 1 for being live on the radio, but uh, it was 3, strictly speaking. Speaking. So three, two, one. Three, two, one. Um, and um, if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, um, it's been posted on on many of the uh, other podcast feeds. Uh, um, I know Steve uh, Airspeed, Steve Tupper broke it into two parts and posted it. Um, I believe Finer Points posted it. Um, I've uh, Pilotcast posted it, of course. Um, and uh, and I would urge people to, ch- to check it out. We did not post it in our feed, um, mainly because I feel like people who listen to our podcast probably listen to at least one of these others, and you've probably gotten it, and I didn't want you to suffer through yet another, and it's a two-hour um, piece of audio, and so I didn't want you to have to download it yet again from us. Um, so we didn't Only to it, find out that you'd heard it before. Yeah, so we didn't put it in our, in our feed, um, but I'm more than happy to point people in the direction of podcasts like Pilot ca- uh, Pilot. Pod- Log and pilot cast and student pilot pilot cast and which one have I missed? Finer points and airspeed and all these great podcasts. Um, I've put a page uh, in the wiki uh, that lists all of the all of the podcasts which have included it in their feed, and so you can go to the uh, go to the home go to the home page of Uncontrolled Airspace. Click on the uh, wiki link in the in the menu bar. Um, wiki, and, and then wiki. you'll see a fe- there's a listing of featured pages, and one of them is uh, is Potapalooza uh, uh, postings. So you can check it out there. Um, it was a lot of fun, and uh, we look forward to it again in the future. And uh, uh, it was it was a blast. I mean, all of it is all of Air, Air of uh, Air Ventures a blast, but especially gathering with our fellow podcasters is a lot of fun. All right. Uh, on a more serious note, uh, our friends at Eclipse. Their troubles continue. Uh, I mean, what I would characterize as troubles are they troubles? Um, now the news is that the FAA is is somewhat seriously reviewing the certification of their aircraft to find out whether or not it was granted inappropriately. What do you guys know about this story? Well, 
let's let's distinguish what kind of troubles we're talking about. Um, the, the kind of troubles that have made um, a lot of the press over the last year or so involve financing. They involve uh, um, getting airplanes out the door. <clears throat> involve uh, um, keeping the doors open at Eclipse, um, and involve, of course, um, some components of the aircraft which were promised but have not yet been delivered. That's a, a lot different than what um, is what the FAA is, is looking at, and they are looking at whether or not the aircraft meets certification standards. Two completely different things. And um, um, what we're probably going to find is that uh, the aircraft does meet certification standards. Um, the reason this has come about, as I understand it, is um, there are some who have made allegations <clears throat> that the FAA, during the eclipse certification process, uh, cut corners. Uh, and uh, perhaps that as a result of the FAA cutting those corners, the, the aircraft uh, does not meet its certification standards. One of the, uh, <clears throat> one of the reasons um, pointed to um, to justify this certification review was uh, a large number of service difficulty reports um, issued against the, uh, the Cirrus fleet. And I think there are now 245 aircraft in the fleet um, you know, worldwide. Um, and these, these service difficulty reports, for those uh, not familiar, are basically um, <clears throat> excuse me, basically uh, information received from the field uh, with respect to um, um, maintenance issues, installation issues, uh, serviceability issues of, of various components installed in the aircraft. Uh, mechanics fill out these forms, send them into the FAA voluntarily, uh, pointing out for the FAA and, and by design for other operators where some of these problems might be found in, in specific aircraft types. Um, I took the liberty earlier this week of, of finding the uh, the SDR database on the FAA website. It, that task in and of itself was not uh, for the faint of heart. Um, and pawing through some of that to look at some of the SDRs that were that were uh, entered for the eclipse, and there were you know a, a, a handful of them. Um, in, some of them had to, had involved you know the the engine to cell fire extinguishers. Some of them involved um, um, uh, other uh, components of the aircraft um, that, again, some of these components are just off-the-shelf uh, AN, you know, MS hardware things. Some of them are, uh, uh, you know, brake master cylinders, things like this. And basically it comes down to, you know, uh, right, right master uh, uh, co-pilot's uh, uh, right side uh, master cylinder, brake master cylinder failed, uh, replaced with, with operator, with, with serviceable master cylinder, ops checked, okay. And end of discussion. Um, I didn't see any trends. I didn't see any, you know, um, the instrument panel falls out of the airplane kind of thing. You know, the wings, the wings don't stay on in, in certain attitudes. Um Aviation International News yeah. got some uh, some stuff from a few few months back, and they reported uh, Wednesday uh, that the uh, service difficulty uh, reporting system showed flap failure, smoke from a multifunction display, 
a disagreement in airspeed uh-huh. displayed between the two primary flight displays, autopilot disengagement, uh, damaged upper right cockpit being beam, dings in a vertical stabilizer leading edge panel, common nav failure, pixelated primary flight display, yaw damper failure, stuck right elevator trim, uncommanded pitch trim uh, cockpit alert system message before takeoff, landing gear indication problems, brake pedals going to the floor after landing, fire bottle leaking, blown tire on landing, sticking control sticks and runner trim runaway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish I had a better feel for how that compares to other well, newly introduced aircraft. I, I wish I did, too. And and one of the ways we can get a better feel for that, of course, is going and, and back through the same... And looking at some of the others. And looking some, at some of the other airframes. And, you know, whether you like it or not, you're going to see similar entries for similar aircraft. I've had trim runaways. Uh, a friend of mine uh, flying... Uh, 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 scheduled 121 recently had uh, a split airspeed indicator situation. Um, uh, I've had you know brake master failures before. You know uh, these kinds of things happen with aircraft. Um, is there a series of problems um, that have have cropped up with respect to Cirrus aircraft um, that affect the certification basis of the airplane? I don't. I haven't seen that, and I don't think the SDRs show that either. No, I uh, think that's coming from the uh, the grievance right filed by exactly. the uh, engineers represented mm-hmm. by the uh, National Air Traffic Controllers Association. Right, and that's that's kind of my point. That, yeah, they're they're the guys that allege that they they were overruled by managers in going ahead with certification uh, approval where some of the engineers and flight test pilots uh, believed that the airplane wasn't quite ready. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to play out. I mean, now now you got Congress involved. It's got to yeah, get more interesting, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Let me give you a, this is a, 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 a maybe a trivial data point, but uh, I found it to be an interesting data point, um, and that is that, that, that regardless of what its shortcomings may or may not be, this is th- these are clearly useful airplanes. Um, and, and the reason I say this is, you, I think it was last week on the podcast, I talked about the fact that I saw one of these on the ramp up at Sanford, Maine. And uh, th- th- that next day or a couple days afterwards, just for the fun of it, I put that airplane's tail number into, uh, uh, what's the name of the service where I can snoop on where you guys are Regist- flying FAA Regist- oh flight aware flight aware okay so i put it into flight aware and had it send me emails on this particular airplane and since then this airplane has been all across the country and back mm-hmm. this airplane is filing two three or four uh flights a day um it's zipping all over the place um clearly the people using this airplane are getting a lot of value out of it and uh and it's it's you know doing some good things for them so uh you know, you know the it's not like they're all just grounded on the ramp i mean this oh is, no no no, and we've never argued with the. Yeah, I've I've been a big fan slash advocate of the concept, the category, early on. I mean, now that we got little engines that'll make for little jets like this, let's make a lot of little jets by all means. Uh, no question about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this thing with the certification review, 
the the Senate hearings, the uh, the union grievance, the FAA uh, looking at itself and looking at the airplane is coming on top of the financial strain right. that the company is under. Right. I mean, they've got vendors that are basically saying, you know, you've got to catch up on your bills before we want to sell you anything more. Uh, production is slowing down. Some of their prime vendors are already having to shed employees because the uh, uh, Eclipse folks aren't going to be buying as many units here over the next probably six to nine months uh, as the original plan. And the original plan, if you might remember, was you know a lot of bloody airplanes. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of companies that have geared themselves up to that production volume that are now seeing the even the the already low production volume headed even slower. Uh, the company's trying to get its finances and its management uh, in trim. Uh, they're slowing down production. Uh, I, I will be really surprised if the next thing that happens is not word of uh, of you know shortened work weeks or you know some kind of uh, work for a while off for a while rhythm. Uh, because they they can't keep spending money at the rate they've been spending it. That's obvious, and stay in business, and they can't deliver airplanes without spending money. So they've got to they've got to sacrifice something here to try to get things under equilibrium again, and then try spooling it back up. Yeah, and, and of course they are not the only airplane company right now that's suffering from from economic woes that are external to the company. I mean, you know. Um, this whole thing's probably being well, aggravated that, by the fact that, that the economy this, is so weird right now. Yeah, and, but uh, this isn't external to Eclipse. This is not a result of the economic downturn of No, but the economic downturn is probably aggravating it. It's probably making it more difficult for them to weather. Anyways, this is a story that will go on. Why don't we kind of move along here and, uh, yeah. and, and I come think back. we'll be talking about it a year from now. We've been talking <laughs> about it for a year. Gosh. Yeah, exactly. We've been talking about it for over a year, so we'll probably be talking about it later on. Anyways, um, let's see now. The uh, Moving right along. The newsletter that's called Callback, which is uh, a product of the ASRS, uh, I, I, I can never, I, I always have a hard time it's remembering. It's a product what, of NASA, Aviation, Aviation Safety Reporting System. Reporting System. So that's the, the little forms, the little get-out-of-jail-free uh, forms that you can carry in your flight bag and, and fill out and not get out of jail, but uh, but hopefully minimize uh, any kind of little missteps you might make. Um, the, many of those forms are, are, the, uh, are the source material for a newsletter that that they put out called Callback. And uh, it used to be a paper. I guess it's not a paper newsletter anymore. Now it's just an electronic newsletter. But uh, did they just do this recently? They've got a feature. Yeah, we in, talked about it, didn't we? I don't think we talked about it. They, well, we talked about the newsletter. They've got a new feature, or at least I think it's new to me anyways, and that is that instead of just presenting these stories in sort of an educational fashion so that we can all learn from, from you know, odd things that have happened, they've no, actually... This is, this is new. They this tell. Is new. They basically tell half the story all right, and then they say, okay, now what would you do in this situation? How would you get yourself out of this jam? Or what do you think is going on here? And uh, and then later on in the back of the newsletter, they explain what actually happened. And it's kind of an interesting little uh, yeah. training exercise to to read these and then have to kind of think it through, not just not just soak up what's there, as good as that 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 is. And uh, so it's kind of interesting. Uh, Dave, you, I think you posted this first. You have any particular insights into this whole thing? Well, I've been a a, a reader, a fan. Uh, and a uh, absorber, if you will, mm-hmm. of the uh, reports and callback going back. Oh, gee, many. First place I subscribed to it was, I guess, uh, 
when I was at Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association 25 years ago. Uh, it, you know, it was something everybody was getting. And when I found out that it was quicker to get my own subscription <laughs> than to wait for the office copy to circulate, you know, like by three months. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's one of those things. Nobody wanted to turn loose of it until they'd read it all and they weren't going to read it all until they could sit and absorb it. Uh, so my, my involvement with it goes back a long way. Uh, all the scenarios, all the reports in it are all real life from airline pilots and GA pilots and flight engineers and mechanics and air traffic controllers and dispatchers uh, talking about things that have actually happened in the real world, what they did, whether that worked or whether they found out later that they'd been saved by the grace of good karma or whatever, uh, and what they would do differently. So uh, just in the last year, you know, the lack of a couple of hundred thousand bucks you know, in other words, 1.4 seconds of Iraq money. Uh, they decided that they couldn't afford to publish this on paper and mail it out to us anymore. And it was the front and back of an eight and a half by 14 sheet of paper, uh, light blue tone, and uh, you could always pick it out of the mailbox. Oh, good, there's a callback. So now we get it real time on the net, like so many other things, which means you got to have a reader to take it to the can with you. Uh, or you got to print it out, so you're back to paper. But now they've got this uh, uh, what-would-you-have-done page as an interactive version of callback where they give you the scenario, and then you kind of fill in what you would have done, and you get to look at what the real person did and what the outcome was. Now, are they going to do this every issue or just every now and then? Uh, from what I gather, they're going to do this every issue. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, regardless, whether whichever way they do it, it's a really interesting newsletter, and you should check it out. It has some really interesting stories. And, it is uh, some of the most enlightening reading you can do, because even when you're reading about something that befud- you know, befuddled some airline captain or got some controller crossways with some business jet situation, you know, these things are enlightening. They're helpful to know. They make you smarter and smarter. Tends to make you safer. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's a very valuable, useful thing. You should check it out. On the other side of the equation, FAA, <laughs> so FAA has in their infinite wisdom. So, well, here's the background. Um, those of you who don't know, a lot of FBOs, private FBOs around the country, will have um, two or three or four or one uh, computer, desktop computer set up someplace where you can sit down and take an official FAA written test of one sort or another. Um, and uh, I've seen them in, in also, I mean, they were in the FBO that I always used to use in, in California. They're in the FBO here at Skyhaven. I would imagine they're up in Sanford. They're all over the place, large and small. Um, FAA recently has decided that there are 120 of these testing centers that are are not sufficiently busy and have just kind of unilaterally decided to shut them down. Is that the way the story goes? They killed their certification, yeah. And and it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me anyways. Um, Well, it's the FAA. Well, I'm sorry, but, you know, you've got to remember the source. Uh, And, you know, for every really smart, up-thinking forward-looking thing that the FAA does, there's got to be at least one dumb, short-sighted, stick-both-feet-in-your-mouth, walk-on-your-knees stupid thing that they got to do. 
<laughs> Not that you feel strongly about yeah, it. Yeah, really. Us. Not that I feel strongly about it. No, this is beyond stupid. Yeah, yeah, there's been a bunch of stories about this. The one I'm looking at right now is on is on AOPA online, aopa.org, and uh, they kind of the the analysis they give on this has to do with the fact that that a lot of the the ones that have been shut down, a lot of the centers that have been shut down. The reason they're small is because they're far away from the big centers. They're actually genuinely useful because of the fact that, well, not because they're small, but that's sort of that's that's the connection. You know, it's uh, they're you know, if, they, if, if they want to if they want to have a, a testing center, you know, uh, take a refresher course online. You know, two hours. Like there's a CFI refresher course, and there's you know one for. Uh, the A and P and IA renewals and all this jazz, all well and good, uh, but shutting down a, a, a function of a business that's barely holding on because they're not holding on deep enough, and then saying that that's promoting aviation is beyond asinine. That's right. It, and it's not like these people have to know what's on the test. The test material comes from the FAA electronically yeah. through the testing service. That has to be certified as up-to-date before they can even ship that to the testing site. Here's my question. Why should the FAA give a tinker's darn how many tests are administered each year? Exactly. As long as they're administered correctly and with the correct materials and, and according to the rules. Yeah. It's not like you have to have a minimum. It doesn't make any sense. No, it, no, make, it, it is absolutely beyond nonsensical yeah. it's I, i'm sorry it's beyond nonsensical it's like stupid because <laughs> because why because uh, why 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 do this well because it's jack we'll just we'll have to let the, i'm sorry jack, that's a bloody freaking junior high school experience we'll have to know, let the spring wind down yeah it's beyond nonsensical it's stupid <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I don't quite get it. Uh, none of us get it. Um, I don't know what's to be FAA, done. FAA, wake up, wake up, and smell well, I mean, the gas. I, I I understand it. It's it's you know some bureaucrat um, at headquarters uh, decided. Hey, you know I'm tired of dealing with this. I don't have time. I'd rather you know um, go stand outside and, and look at the new uh, secretaries walking by. Um, uh, we'll just we'll just uh, terminate the authorization for these centers to to operate, and uh, uh, I can go about and go do something else. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right, we get it, Dave. Hey, let's move on here. Um, Take a drink. Take a drink. Uh, we haven't done listener mail in a long time. I've got a couple of interesting ones I wanted to drop in here. And, it's because uh, they just don't write anymore. Oh, no. Well, it's actually not true. No, it's because Jack doesn't read them anymore. No, I read them all, but there's so many of them. And plus, I got so behind. Well, here's my excuse. My story we is... We all got behind. We got July. behind, and this was one of the things that I had to kind of let fall by the wayside so that I could catch up on the important things like getting the podcast out. So that's a, that's my lame excuse. Oh, you have a day job, too. And there's that. Um, here's one interesting one. Uh, I... In some episode recently, we talked about, actually, we talked about it about a year ago as well, and that was the aircraft that lost its propeller in flight, uh-huh. and then the guy offered a reward for the, uh, for the, uh, f- to find the propeller, and we've got uh, email here from, uh, from listener Ross T., uh, who writes uh, uh, regarding episode number 95 and the reference to the prop lost in flight, he says the prop was found. And he refers us to an article in the Aspen Daily News. And let's see if I can bring up that story. Man, I interviewed for a job at that paper once. And, uh, so, you know, I haven't read this yet. Reading this cold, it says, uh, 
what would propel two locals to spend their day of bushwhacking <laughs> through some of the wildest terrain in, in, uh, the, in the Roaring Fork Valley? The most valuable people, piece of scrap metal around. This is Jerry and Heather earned uh, Jerry Stokes and Heather Hall earned a five thousand dollar reward Tuesday following an eleven hour search for Aspenite Barry Cox's missing propeller. So they found the propeller and uh, and see you now it fell off his air. I'm trying to curious where they where they found it because we were speculating about whether it would fall into a pond or was buried in the leaves or but uh, anyways. You could probably go. The guy had a blog where he reported that they'd been over one area and hadn't found it and they were going back the next day or in a couple of days yeah. they were very methodical about it i mean they took the uh the uh, uh radar trace and overlaid it over train map and they were real precise in where they went yeah there's a picture of the propeller here in the uh it's like it's the propeller and the uh i don't know what the uh, part is called but the, the hub the hub and well, there's, the, there's, the, there's the hub <clears throat> the backing plate and the blades are still attached yeah uh all in all you know it doesn't look you know, all that worse much not, worse for the you know you would expect it's not airworthy but by any stretch of the imagination but uh uh, all in all, it doesn't look all that bad. It's not all that bad. I've seen the the tip that's actually on the ground. If you're looking at this picture, seems yeah. to be dinged pretty badly. Yeah. But uh, anyways, uh, the guy found his propeller. And, wow, uh, he had to have a new engine. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You overspeed. I oh. imagine if you because the engine's going to go nuts once the propeller's oh, that, gone. And, uh, well, the, the 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 prop flange had to have come loose from the crank. So yeah, you know, Katie bar the door. What's going to happen after that? Oh, I lost all the oil and everything else. So. Yeah, and uh, imagine how yeah. it revs right after the right after the prop and the crankshaft separate company. Wow, where did that load go? Let's go fast. Yeah, yeah I think I'd I'd want a new engine. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks to Ross T for calling our attention to this. Uh, Ross T closes his uh, his posting or his email. I'm sorry, I posted it in the forums, but it was originally an email to us by saying that uh, he will be starting ground school this fall. So, and he apparently will be flying out of. Romeo India Lima in western Colorado. Hopefully he'll be able to find a place to take his written exam. <laughs> That's right. Thank you, Ross. Let's see now. And the we'll other always one, know where his prop is. The other one I wanted to uh, to uh, call attention to, and I don't, did we talk about this? Did we talk about the story of the controller who lost comm with an aircraft and uses tech, used text messaging? I just, it came out since our last episode. Has it come out since? So the story was that uh, the control, and this wasn't in the U.S. I believe this was like in England or something like that. Okay, I believe you. And, uh, and the controllers and the aircraft lost, commu- lost uh, radio communication and uh, and then they tried to talk on the cell phone, and the cell phone signal fell apart. They couldn't talk by cell phone, and the controller, quick thinking, decided that uh, a text message might actually go through. So he actually sent a text message to the aircraft. Um, according, I'm doing yeah, this, this all from memory. This, hap- this happened over in the UK. Yeah, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and so this quick-thinking controller used the technology available to him to communicate with the aircraft, and the aircraft landed safely, and that was the, kind of the good story. Um, the interesting thing was we got email from a listener, uh, Mike in New Hampshire, uh, who writes, uh, uh, let's see if I can summarize this. He says, I've been a controller 20 years in the U.S., and sorry, we can't duplicate this task. You are on your own. He writes, two years ago, the FAA imposed what they call a contract. We call it an imposed work 
rules. <laughs> uh, and uh, this contract forbids electronic devices in control rooms and towers. This includes cell phones. Uh, he said this is despite the fact that controllers facing communication failures in the past have used personal cell phones to contact adjacent facilities. So, hey, man, you know, it, it, safety aside, we've got to be in control. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we're not in control, how can we tell you that you're safe? Yeah. So we got to make you unsafe to be in control. That just makes you safer. Yeah. Boom! <laughs> the FAA is not looking good on this episode of Uncontrolled Airspace. Well, I think we pick, are exceeding pick one in which they have looked good. Oh, uh, well, you know. But uh, we seem to be finding a lot of examples this week. So... Uh, so that's uh, that was email from uh, from Mike in New Hampshire. Thank you, Mike, for filling Mike, us in on Mike, that. We love the job you guys do, man. Some Tell of me, our yeah, friends keep are it controllers. Up. Yeah, just and just those, no cell phones. We don't want to, you know, no cell phones. And those facilities that know that there are exceptions, you know who you are. Enough said. Oh, and I'm sorry. Maybe my favorite part of the store of the uh, email from from Mike from New Hampshire is the little postscript at the very end, which is that the email that he sent us uh, it says sent from my iPhone. So yes. He, uh, he, <laughs> but, oh, but was it the new iPhone? But not from the tower. But not from the tower. Ah. Oh, well. All right. Where are we here? Let's see now. What's next? Oh, okay. Here we go. This is the one. This is the one. (laughs) Running out of beer. This is the one. And I don't even know how to summarize this story. All right. They suddenly discovered a whole bunch of airplanes had broken stuff on the outside of the uh, fuselage. uh, And uh, and they couldn't figure out what was going on until, until... a bunch of I don't know what pilots or whatnot put two and two together and discovered that uh, a TSA inspector who was doing inspections of aircrafts from the ramp was, and as I understand it, his explanation was that he was testing to find out whether or not an intruder could climb up into the airplane from the ramp. And the way he did this was by grabbing onto various pieces of instrumentation affixed to the outside of the aircraft and in the process damage, damaging them beyond use. What was the particular uh, instrument? Do you know? I, I'm not I'm, I'm blanking. Uh, they, they were American this, Eagle airplanes. Right. And American Eagle airplanes in Chicago can be jets or turboprops. Right. Uh, and I didn't, I have yet to see anything that specified the air tape. It was an external temperature probe of some sort. and oh, It's part of the EFA system. Yeah. So, uh, anyway. Well, it's, it's, it's part of the pedostatic system that is connected to the EFAS, uh, but um, the, there's a picture, ABC News out of Chicago, I would presume, um, has a, a, a photograph, an image on their website, and it's of two Saab 340s in American Eagle colors. Um, it's, they could, have, could well have been um, the, the Saabs, um, in which case I would kind of wonder... Uh, why the guy couldn't just climb up on the wing, and, and I, I don't. I, the whole thing is just uh, uh, wow. just outlandish. But there's one one listener here. Um, uh, um, I should say one. Yeah, one listener on the website in the forums. Um, pilot Bill from Texas, um, um, who had the best quote. He says, "At least the TSA is coming up with their own renewable resource." Stupid. Stupid. <laughs> yeah, uh, I just don't know what to say. I just, and you know, this is this is, in, you know, another one of those beyond because 
uh, initially TSA spokesman defended this as saying that the inspector was just doing what he had to do to assure that those aircraft were secure. <laughs> now, had that been any normal citizen doing that, that would have been sabotage, damage right. the aircraft, punishable exactly. by federal time. You could have said hello to all your friends in, from Leavenworth, Kansas. And this is excused because it's protecting us from something? Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, and he and, was climbing up to access the jetway. If he could get up on the jetway, he could squeeze between the end of the jetway and the aircraft and then try to get access to the cabin door. That was what this was all about. Right. Right. And, you know, and, and lest anyone think that this is actually an airline story and why do we care other than giving us yet another opportunity to bash the FAA or the TSA, excuse me. Um, As if we need an excuse. Yeah. Is that uh, you'll recall from last week or the week before, uh, the uh, TSA wants to increase this kind of security on our GA airplanes and our GA airports. And uh, if this <coughs> is the level of, of, you know, clever protection i don't know cam i'm at a loss for words i'm here. sorry but I, I i i don't think that my safety the safety of my family and my friends and those poor souls under whom my aircraft you know lays my aircraft's flight flight lay can take this kind of security yeah i know and, yeah. and, and the word is that one of the things that the tsa wants to come up with here give itself the authority to do is to have access to the inside of anybody's aircraft at any time on the basis that it's just in the name of protecting us from terrorists and national security. And I'm sorry. Uh, Not without okay. a search warrant. We're on notice right here, kiddo. My property, unless you've got probable cause and a warrant, uh, we'll tap dance in federal court. Yeah. That's right. But, Come know, on down. Take that idea and stick it where the jet pipe flows. And yeah. you... And you yeah, and, and well, I, 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 won't, I won't. I won't say that. But uh, <clears throat> go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that. Sort of, a, uh, in my mind, a related story is the one that we talked about, whatever it was last week or the week before, about the fact that uh, that FAA wants to increase uh, these kinds of security measures at GA airports and for GA aircraft. TSA does. I'm TSA sorry. Does. I, I'm sorry. I keep saying that. Um, TSA does. Um, and perhaps in response to that, uh, the NBAA came out with a release and a really fascinating list uh, uh -huh. this past week, um, summarizing all of the things that the general aviation uh, and the business aviation uh, industries have done almost unilaterally to increase security around their aircraft. And it's a fascinating list, and I won't read it, but uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. Um, or you can go to the NBAA site and kind of search around for it. But the headline is Business Aviation Security a continuing pri priority for NBAA and the industry. And uh, and it's just a, a big old list of a whole lot of things that clearly the in the industry, the general aviation industry, is already uh, doing all the things that it can think of, the reasonable things it can think of, to uh, make sure that uh, that our, our aircraft and our airports are secure. Uh, and, and I like this, this, what feels to me like false presumption that we can't be counted on to try to protect our own assets, that we're just so rich and, you know, rich and foolish and frivolous with our airplanes that we're going off with people that we don't know, that, you know, with, with stuff that we have no idea is, that, oh, yeah, we just leave our airplanes unlocked? Yeah, sure, like the TSA leaves its freaking front door unlocked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So uh, I, I urge people to take a look at the list and uh, to tell your friends about the list. That uh, you know, yeah, it's it, it's good cocktail party or hangar flying. General yeah. aviation is not a <clears throat> wide open thing that's just completely unprotected. There are already a lot of good security measures in place, and uh, you know. <clears throat> Anyways. And this is not exclusive because there's a couple of things that they've omitted here. <clears throat> um, for example, we talked about one of them earlier, and that's the ADAs. Uh, it's not min- at all mentioned in this list of uh, uh, of steps that TSA, FAA have taken since uh, since 2001. Um, the proliferation of TFRs is another uh, yeah. example. Um, the, there, uh, I'm, and I'm, there, there are things that. Um, um, have have a, have occurred that we're not even aware of, or the public is not aware of. So um, to say that general aviation aircraft uh, are operating um, without security scrutiny is um, Ill- uninformed uh, at yeah, best I, I like and, and malicious we, at worst. We're, we're unsecure. We you know we we could be the dupes in a. In, in a theft that would crash a nuclear weapon into somewhere somehow, and I'm thinking about the the metal thieves around the country that are very easily breaking into rental truck places to harvest the catalytic converters uh-huh. so that uh-huh. they can sell them as scrap metal for hundreds of bucks. It's like, well, if these guys can get access to that to steal those kind of parts. You know. How hard is it going to be for them to get access to that truck, truck to turn it into a weapon of mass destruction? Uh, oh, a truck is a weapon of mass destruction? It's not an airliner. It can't do big damage. Oh, huh. yeah. Tell the people at the Mira Federal Building in Oklahoma City uh-huh. about the, 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 the safety and security of a rider rental truck. That's right. Well, I, we, we, we talked about that last week, the week before, and, and uh, um, there are. Uh, there are any number of of ways to commit a terrorist act, whether it's with a pickup truck, a, a motorcycle, or an uh, a skateboard, uh, a general aviation aircraft, an airliner, whatever, a, a, a Chris Craft motorboat. Um, what are you going to do? Are a, you going to are you going to stop everything, license. inspect everything, and turn this into Germany in the late 1930s? Um, yeah, I think inspecting uh, aircraft to take gauge access and damaging them to the point that they could have killed people is mm-hmm. an act of terrorism. Exactly right. Yeah. So, anyways, um, tell all your friends, tell uh, tell your non-aviation friends, and point out, point November. point them to these kinds of stories that uh, general aviation is doing its part and making reasonable measure, taking reasonable steps to uh, to make sure that uh, our airplanes Not and our airports stuff. are are secure. Finally, uh, Jeb, we had a listener in the forums, uh-huh. uh, has, uh, let's see if I can find this this uh, forum posting. He writes, this is uh, J.H. Wellington, writes, uh, Hey, Jeb, a few months ago you bought a Q1 for a ridiculously low price, and we're just starting to download charts and software. Can you give us an update as to how it's going? He says, I'm currently bidding on a Q1 on okay. eBay and want to know if you're pleased with yours. I am pleased with it. And, and let me... Um, Give us the background here. So this was John, a, this is a yeah, lab, John, uh, first sort of all, tablet computer. Exactly. John, uh, first of all, I hope you're getting one with uh, or bidding on a Q1 on eBay uh, uh, that has a solid-state drive. And I think we've discussed the reasons uh, that you want a solid-state drive on this uh, versus a physical drive. 
uh, before, but suffice it to say that you do want the solid state drive uh, because it won't be susceptible to altitude, and uh, I think it'll also be a little bit quicker machine. Uh, the disk access times will be a lot shorter. And, and, and probably last longer too, um, but yes, I am very pleased with it. There's there's two things that you need to know about the Q1. Uh, now the one I have is is I think the the first generation. The the current generation Q1s have a hardware keyboard uh, built into the bezel. It's uh, it's a QWERTY keyboard. Uh, it's it's like the old uh, uh, chiclet. Um, uh, keyboard uh, the keys are I should say kind of a, a chiclet uh, keyboard style from the old PC Junior back in the 80s, but um, um, it does have that hardware keyboard built into it. That's the that's the uh, the latest generation Q ones. The earlier ones have a uh, a software keyboard um, um, that, as the name implies, uses software to 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 give you a virtual keyboard on the screen. Um, the first thing you need to know, or uh, the, uh, the first thing you need to know about a Q1 is definitely uh, get one with a solid state drive. The second thing you need to know is uh, you need to get the um, um, 12 volt or the, the uh, uh, cigarette lighter adapter for for power supply to run the thing in the airplane. And the reason for that is that when it runs on batteries, and you can get different capacity and different size batteries, but they're all going to pretty much discharge at the same rate. Um, the reason for that is uh, once it's on battery, the screen dims. And, and uh, in a sunny, on a sunny day, you're going to need the extra brightness that you get by using a live power supply. Um, so go ahead and plan on getting the cigarette lighter adapter. Um, the third thing you need to do is you need to get a mount for the Q1 to mount it in your airplane. Um, I just recently got one up at Oshkosh. It's a uh, uh, and, and there's all kinds of mounts out there um, for devices to to put in your airplane. Uh, Ram is one of the the uh, more popular manufacturers of of uh, uh, mounts, uh, both in cars and in airplanes, for GPSs, for calculators, for iPods, whatever. They also manufacture da 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 a mount for the uh, the Samsung Q1. And uh, I haven't installed it uh, yet in the airplane. I just haven't had time. Um, but everything looks like it's going to work just fine. I'm going to mount it on the yoke, and it'll be right there where I want it. It'll be mounted in in, uh, um, in portrait mode so that I have the, the basically the, the same format of the approach plates. Uh, it'll be right there beside me. Um, the screens on the Q1, um, depending on the software and depending on how big the buttons are that you're looking at trying to tap, you can just use your finger. It's a touchscreen uh, device, um, and it comes with a stylus, of course, but you can, you can use a stylus. Sometimes you can get away with just using your fingers to zoom in and zoom out and things like that. Um, I haven't gotten all of this flying you know, in close formation yet. Uh, but it's all there. It, it will work. It's just a matter of uh, sitting down um, and putting it all together and, and going to fly with it. I've, I've done enough testing. I've done enough uh, playing with it. The software is, is bulletproof. The hardware is bulletproof. Once I get it all mounted and go out and practice with it a little bit, I'm sure I'll be very pleased. Sounds good. So, so it's definitely something worth doing. Sounds good. When you can you get it mounted in your airplane, take some pictures. We'll put it I will. on the website. We'd like to see how what it looks yeah. like and uh, I will. 
so forth. And the, the other thing too is is uh, the Q1 because it's a Windows based operating system. It's not a proprietary system. It's not a one trick pony that you can only use for approach plates. Um, and, and not just the Q1, but other other devices like it. Uh, because it's a Windows based system, though, you can also use it for other things. Uh, the Q1 has Wi Fi. Yeah, yeah uh, playing solitaire. The Q, the, the Q1 has Wi Fi built into it. It has uh, uh, an RJ45 uh, Cat5 cable jack. Uh, I, I don't recall if it has a mo- its own modem or not, but it has Bluetooth and, and, and a lot of other G-Jaws uh, already built into it. It's a great little note taker. It's a great little thing to throw in your flight bag and take with you um, for a weekend trip to check email, things like this. Um, and it's just a nice little all-around device. If you can figure out a way to use it in your airplane cockpit, more power to you. There you go. Great. Shout-outs. You got anything uh, before we wrap this thing up? What's going on in the world these days? You're going to make another trip up to uh, Georgia, then you get to fly home, huh? Yeah, I got to make a trip up to Georgia here. As I say, I just haven't decided if I wanted to go back and get it uh, this weekend or not. It kind of depends on what the remnants of Faye do. Basically, they'll be dropping water all over uh, southern Georgia, and uh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to fly through that or not. It kind of kind of depends on how I feel when I wake up Saturday morning. Yep. Week after next, I am headed west for uh, a week of some business and some pleasure out in California, my old haunting grounds out there, and uh, I have tentatively planned to meet up with uh, Jason Miller of the Finer Points and uh, Will Hawkins of uh, Pilot Will's uh, fame to uh, go flying. Uh, We were uh, talking about uh, doing some flying and maybe even recording some episodes of their podcast or somebody's podcast while we were flying. So I'm looking forward to visiting with them out there and uh, as well as Paddle Awatha. And visiting a bunch of my other California friends as, as well. So uh, I'll report back on that. As a matter of fact, I'll probably record an episode of I'll Be Out There for one of our episodes of the podcast. So, uh, hey, maybe I'll get uh, get Will and Jason to come on the podcast then. Huh? We'll work something out. Anyways, anything else? Oh, shout out to my friends at the Commemorative Air Force here in Wichita at the Jayhawk Wing and around the country. Uh, they're what they call air show is coming up at their headquarters down in Texas, uh, down Midland Way, uh, early next month. Uh, it's quite the gathering of warbirds and CAF members and and uh, supporters. And uh, we just hope that they have a, a, a great time down there. And if you're in the neighborhood and want to see one of the most... Uh, one of the most d- distinct and complete collections of airworthy World War II hardware. Uh, Airshow is a great place to show up for a couple of days. Yeah, sounds great. Jeb Burnside. Jeb is, of course, an aviation journalist currently serving as editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. You can learn more about Jeb and his work at jebburnside.com, at aviationsafetymagazine.com, and avweb.com. And uh, Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer. He's a senior editor for Kit Planes Magazine and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Learn more about Dave and his work at kitplanes.com, at avbuyer.com, slash sales, uh, or just Google his name. Name and uh, and learn more yeah, about his writing. Pick a place and dive in. Yeah. That's right. 
and I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Learn more about me and my learn more about me and my work at jackhodgson.com or uh, aroundthefield.net. And you can visit us all. Check out the uh, check out the forums. Check out the wiki. Check out the blog at uncontrolledairspace.com. So, hey, happy birthday, boys! And uh, yeah, happy, same happy to you. Two years, folks. Thanks for listening. Who gets to cut the cake? Now, you know, who's going to blow it out? I suggest you do. That's right. Now, David, go say li- it. Go live longer because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. That's right. That's enough talking. Let's all go flying. TTFN. TTFN.